This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Last week, when we kicked off our new series on the Ten Commandments, what do we do when working harder isn't working? You know, and, and I know many of you, you're kind of like me. The surest way to get you to do something is to tell you that you can't do it. And like I, I went to the store a couple weeks ago, and I bought something that was kind of heavy. As I was loading it in my car, the guy told me, now, hey, when you get home, be sure to get someone to help you lift this out of the car because it's pretty heavy, which I immediately heard as, I bet you can't lift that, right? And so I did what uh, most every man in here would do. I went home and I unloaded it by myself. And then I called the store and I told that guy he was a wuss. Uh, not really. I, didn't, I did do the first part. I thought about doing the second part, but I, I didn't. So, uh, but you know, you're, you're that way. Like some of you junior hires and high schoolers, if you're parent is wired this way, um, and they're good at math, then you can do this, and you'll never have to do your math homework again. See, so, so all it takes is go to your mom or dad and tell them uh, tomorrow, Friday, whenever, tell them, hey, uh, we've got some new math homework, and it's really hard. You probably can't even help me with it. Like, I don't think you're smart enough to do it. And, uh, you know what, just never mind. And, and if your parent is good, now, if my kids ask me that, I'm like, yep, you're right, good luck. But for some of you guys, uh, you can go to your parents and they can actually say, no, 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 give it to me and they'll do it. And you'll, you know, next thing you know, you've graduated high school. You know nothing to math, but you got A's all the way through. So if that works for you, you're welcome. Um, right. But, but what we don't like to do is we do not like to work hard and not have anything to show for our results. There is nothing more frustrating in life than, than working hard at something again and again and again, and you just feel like you're spinning your wheels and you're not getting anywhere at all. And some of us, we've, we've fought this as we've tried to overcome behaviors we weren't proud of, as we've tried to fix relationships, as we've tried to not be the people that our parents were. We've decided if I just work hard enough, I can do it. And you've worked hard and all you found is you're just kind of sitting there spinning your wheels. And so as we work our way through the, the Ten Commandments, I don't want you to feel like if I just work harder, I can keep these. Last week, we we spent a lot of time introducing the the function of the law to us. Why why does God give us the Ten Commandments? And and we saw he gives them to us for a couple reasons. First of all, he gives them to us uh, to teach us about himself. And so the commandments are good. The law, the, the description of this way of life is good for us. It's how we should desire to live, how we should desire to be. And yet what we come to understand is that we can't keep it on our own, right? Now you might be doing okay so far. You you think about the last week and you didn't make an idol. You didn't kill anybody. You didn't lie, cheat, or steal, at least in significant ways. Um, So you, you feel pretty good about yourself, but Jesus comes along and he starts telling us, I'm not worried about just your external obedience. I'm worried about the internal state of your heart. And so he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, don't even hate. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, don't even lust. You've heard it said, do not lie. I tell you, just live in a way where when you say yes, people know you mean yes. Right? And, and Jesus begins to add to the weight of the law. And, and what eventually happens is the law crushes us. And we come to realize no matter how hard I work, I will never perfectly and finally fulfill these things. Because even if I can do it externally, I know the darkness that lives in my own heart. And in that setting is actually where we find our first glimpses of hope. Because as we come to the end of our strength, we are ready to look outside and Jesus is presented to us as the one who has perfectly and finally fulfilled the law for us. 
So as we work through each of these commandments, we're trying to remember this is not an invitation to work harder, but instead it's an invitation to surrender more to the power of the Spirit in us that actualizes the finished work of Christ on our behalf. So Jesus had both the desire and the ability to fulfill the law. You and I have neither. But through the presence of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the life of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus that lives in us, and now we are enabled to live this way. I shared this thought with you last week. R.T. Kendall is a pastor and author writing about this. He said, if we were to walk in the spirit, we would fulfill the law accidentally, even if we had never heard of the Ten Commandments. And so this is our, this is our hope each week, not to say, now get out of here and straighten up, but to say, as you surrender to the Spirit, you will begin to live in a way where God has given you both the desire and the ability to fulfill the law, and you will live naturally in ways that will result in the fulfillment of these things in your life. So let's remember that as we jump into the third commandment. We tackled the first two together last week. The third commandment is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, some, you might be more familiar with the other translation that says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? They, they both have the same idea. And the third commandment has probably resulted in more kids getting their mouths washed out with soap than any of the other commandments, right? And so if you grew up in a, in a home where there was an awareness of the law and awareness of the commandments, then you knew um, when you smashed your finger or you got mad, you better not yell out the name of Jesus or the name of God, right? Because to do so was a custom. And some of you tried to play it off. You yelled it and then you're like, no, mom, I was praying, I promise. She didn't buy it. And some of us, if you grew up in a super Christian home, your parents took the third command really serious and they told you, not only are we not going to say, oh my God, ever, because that's, that's a breaking the third commandment. We're also not going to say, oh my gosh. We're not going to say, oh golly. We're not going to say, oh goodness. Just, you know what? Any word that starts with G-O, let's just take that off the table. And you grew up in that, right? I remember as a kid yelling at one point, oh my gosh. My mother's like, what did you say? I said, gosh, G-O-S-H. Get over here. You know, and it was just, like, it didn't even... If you're going to wash it, can I say the real thing first? Like, let me earn this punishment, you know? And, and so some of us have that. Now, if you grew up in that home, you grew up uh, in a way that was very similar to how conservative Jewish people have lived for centuries. They took the third commandment so seriously that they would not say or write the name of God. And so you've, you've seen this at different times. If you've ever read a book or an article, uh, maybe a blog post online even, and instead of writing out God, they wrote G dash D. And, and that comes from this, this idea that God's name is so holy and should be revered so highly that we shouldn't even speak it and we shouldn't write it because it's inevitable that us in our sinful state, we're going to misuse it. But the third commandment though, as we start to dive into it this morning, I, I want you to understand it goes so much deeper than you just not saying certain words when you get upset. Right? It's a much deeper. The first three commandments are teaching us about God himself, who he is in his nature and his character. And so when it comes to his name, his concern is not simply with your language, not simply with don't say my name like you don't mean it, but it goes much deeper than that. One writer puts it this way. He says, using God's name is a serious act, not because certain sounds are holy, 
but because it is impossible to disassociate God's name from his person, identity, and character. See, when the the Bible speaks of God's name, it's not just speaking of the arrangement of letters on a page. We understand that. The the word God is different in in all the languages around the world. And so it's not that he's saying this one particular word, arrangement of letters, in this particular language is holier than all the others. But he's telling us, don't misuse my name because my name is who I am. Now, that word misuse that that the NIV translates uh, there, it comes from a, a Hebrew word that at its root means to waste. And so what God is telling us is don't waste my name. Don't empty it of its meaning. Don't empty it of its glory. Because when you say my name, you're talking about who I am, what I do, and how I've revealed myself to you. Now, that, that may seem a little selfish, it may seem a little self-centered, but, but just take it and apply it to yourself, and I think you'll understand. Right? How many of you have ever Googled yourself? Anybody? Right? We're going to talk about lying in a couple weeks. So, like half of you, I already know, when we get to lying Sunday, I'm going to say, remember when you said everybody's Googled themselves? Some of you probably did it this morning. I did it yesterday. It's still clean, okay? So everything that comes up is still... But if you've ever Googled yourself and you found someone with the same name as you, who's done horrible things, it's kind of horrifying, isn't it? Just kind of, oh, that, like that, that could be. So the other day I was uh, in my office talking to a buddy and we were trying to find a pastor in another state. And so he gave me the guy's name. He gave me, uh, he didn't know what church he went in. So we Googled this guy's name. We added pastor to it and we added the state. And that like the top 10 results were about this pastor who had the same name, who lived in the same state, who'd been arrested for some horrific crimes. And I turned my computer around and I asked my buddy, like, surely not this one. He's like, oh, no, 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 not that, not the same guy at all. But if you've ever been in that situation where your name has been attached to something that damages your reputation, you know how important it is to you to, right, we even have phrases for it, to, to clear your name. Right? This is why some of you growing up, your parents told you things like, our family has a good name and you're not going to drag it through the mud right? Or, or at least my parents told me that at times. You know, we've, we've worked hard for our name in this community. It means something. You're not going to damage it. You're not going to damage our reputation. And this is God's concern here. Not so much that, hey, y'all better watch your mouth, but more you need to understand when you speak my name, and especially as Christians, when you claim my name as your identity, then no one has more ability than you to either increase the worth of God's name and increase his fame in our world, or on the other side of that, to damage it. The people of God are in a unique position to fulfill the third commandment and elevate the name and fame of God in the world, or to disobey the third commandment and to lower the name and fame of God in the world. And so when we, when we start to think about that, it helps us understand that misusing his name is far more than just not saying three or four words when we get mad. And, and so as you start to think about what are the ways that we misuse God's name? One of the, the primary ways that we are tempted to break the third commandment is when we use God's name for our glory. Right, where, where we decide, I'm going to attach my identity to him so that I can improve my own standing. Basically, we are name-dropping God. You've, you've been around name-droppers before, right? You have been a name-dropper. I have been a name-dropper. 
Right? When I meet someone important, I enjoy telling someone else about that. Now, I, I like to think that because I met someone important and I'm telling someone else, it's out of the goodness and purity of my heart. But what's actually happening is I'm hoping that as I tell you about this important person that I met or that I know, that it is raising your view of me, right? Well, I might not be important, but I at least know them. So it should raise me up a little bit in your eyes. Now, now we do in our culture the same thing with God. You, you hear this every election season. And politicians of every stripe who end their speeches with, and God bless America, regardless of if the content of their speech had anything to do with honoring or glorifying God. And why do they do that? Because in American politics, there is an underlying assumption that you better be some kind of spiritual person or we can't trust you to serve in office. And so our politicians have learned this and they've learned some of the jargon. And, and some of them have authentic relationships with Jesus. And some of them use the name of God as just another tool to try to gather a few more votes. But it's not just them. We, we can do this in our own business, right? You see Chris, Christian businessmen, businesswomen who uh, use their identity as followers of Jesus to promote their businesses. Now, this is not wrong. If it's done with the right motives, the right motivations, then, uh, then it can be a, a really God-honoring thing that you're saying, my identity in Christ is going to shape my entire approach to business. But we've all had the experience at times of we hired the Christian company to do some work, and then they acted in anything but a Christian manner, right? Where you use the scripture verse, the little symbol to gather business with no intention of treating people as Jesus would treat them. And so it basically becomes a form of using God's name for your own glory of, I'm going to use the standing of Christ in my community to increase the number of clients I get. And then as soon as I get them, it's basically like, hey, I love Jesus. Come here, let me rip you off. Right? And, and, and we begin to rob God of the glory that he deserves. I see this uh, sometimes in dating relationships where, uh, you know, maybe there's a young woman, a young man, and they... They love the Lord, they're, they're committed to him, they're part of a church, and they just, they want to get married. And, and some, some other man, some other woman comes along, catches their eye, and suddenly this guy who had absolutely no interest in Jesus is showing up to church every Sunday, All right? He's, he's talking about, yeah, I own a Bible, you know? Uh, when I was little, my parents sprinkled me with water. Yes, I, I love Jesus. I love, and, you know, same thing, girl does the same thing, and, and, and it kind of gets to the point of either in that dating relationship, they've kind of They've got what they wanted, and then they decide to move on. Sometimes it goes all the way into a marriage, and it's after the I do's that the, the husband or wife just kind of is honest and says, yeah, you know what, I'm not really into all that. Like, the church stuff was fine when we were dating, when we were engaged, but now you and the kids can go. I'll just stay home. Right? And, and in that situation, what has occurred? We have used God's glory for our own purposes. We have, we have kind of entered into this arrangement where we think he's not going to care if I use him to get what I want. And the third commandment is teaching us God cares a great deal about how his name and his reputation are used in the world. And so it's a, a warning for us of we should never use God's name for, for our own glory. And anytime we introduce his name into a business conversation, into a relationship, into any situation, his name is who he is. His name is his presence. And so when his name is spoken in a, a board meeting, in a, a dealing with a client, in a relationship, the whole feel of that conversation changes. Because God's name is not a tool to be used to help you close a deal. His name is the whole deal. 
right? And so if you wanna attach it to your role as a politician, then you better be ready to make decisions through the lens of what would God require. And if you wanna attach his name to your business, that's fine and that's good if you're willing to do business in a way that would honor Jesus. And if you want to attach it to your life to make a connection with a girl that you're hoping to date, then you better be ready to lay down your life and love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And if you're not, then keep his name out of your mess. This is what the, the third commandment, God is, like, he is not easing into this with us. And he tells us, first of all, I am the Lord your God. There's no other gods before me. Don't make an idol. Don't make an image. And now he's saying, you better be careful how you say my name. And I'm always paying attention. All right, so, so we misuse it when we use it for our own glory. We also misuse God's name when we use it flippantly. Breaking the third commandment is the foundation of nominal Christianity in America. That idea of just, yeah, you know, sure, I'm a Christian. Christian in, in name only. I go to church a few times a year. I have some awareness of what's going on, but it makes no difference in my life. And so anytime we live in a way where, where our experience and God's truth begin to collide and we decide that we stand on equal footing with him, we're treating him flippantly and we're breaking the third commandment. Anytime we decide that our reputation is just as important as his reputation, we're breaking the third commandment. Anytime we treat him as less than who he is, we're breaking the third commandment. And then, so, so you know, those are, those are ways that some of us, for Christians, we think, yeah, get those people that are out there breaking the third commandment like that. They need to know what they're doing. But there are some uniquely Christian ways that we break the third commandment, even in the, the context of our local church. Right? One of the ways that we do it, it's, it's kind of using God's name for our glory. It's also kind of using his name flippantly. It's when we use God's name to um, get out of difficult conversations or to justify certain behaviors. Right? And, and so what this looks like is just uh, somebody asks you a difficult question and instead of engaging with it honestly, you uh, kind of just go to the default of like, well, God told me I shouldn't do that. Right? So, so like for me, let's say I get a, a call from another uh, pastor, maybe somebody in our denomination. They're saying, hey, we would like you to serve on this committee. And in my mind, I might think, I don't know that that's going to be worth my time. I don't know that I have time for it. But instead of having an honest conversation, I can say, okay, thanks. That's an honor. Let me pray about it. And then I can go back later and be like, you know what? I prayed about it. And I just don't feel like God wants me to do that right now. Now, when I say that, it could be 100% true. Or I could be breaking the third commandment because I've decided instead of using a, an honest form of communication, I'm just going to blame it on God because they can't argue with that. Right? I mean, maybe you've, maybe you've done this. Pastor Amy calls you. Hey, we need some preschool teachers. Oh, preschool. I've heard that room when I walk by it. All right, I've seen those kids after church on Sunday night. Like, it's a, a broken hip waiting to happen. I just can't, I can't even walk through the foyer on a Wednesday night. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. And, and she's telling you, man, it's, it's great. The church is growing. There's all these young families coming. These preschool rooms are getting full. We need to add some teachers. Would you want to be part of what God's doing, helping these kids understand that God loves them? Amy is good at recruiting, right? And, and so your response is like, hey, let me, let me pray about it. Which is code for no, uh, but I don't want to tell you right now. So you pray about it. Call her back a couple days later. Now, not all of us, but some of us. I've done it too, so I'm not throwing you under the bus. 
right, and we come back, Amy, you know, I, I prayed about that, and I'm, I'm really excited about what's happening at the church. I'm really excited about all those kids. I just don't feel like that's really what God has for me to do right now. Now, Amy's kind, so her response is going to be, okay, thank you. My response would be, well, what exactly is God going to have you to do then? <laughs> right, because I'm pretty sure he did, like, he didn't create you just to sit on your butt all the time. You're probably supposed to be part of what he's doing in the community. And, and, and so what, what are we going to do? But, but instead, we just, we know. If I say God told me not to do it, no one can argue. Right? I can argue. God really doesn't want you to help preschoolers know him. God really doesn't want you to give up one hour on a Sunday morning. Jesus died for you. Right now, I can do that. And, but even then, I run the risk now in my argument of breaking the third commandment as well. And so there's just this whole unique way where Christians break the third commandment, where we just treat it flippantly. Of like, well, if I don't want to do it, I'll just blame it on him and no one will argue. And then there's another way, too, of, of sometimes God legitimately speaks to you. Sometimes as you're reading the scriptures, as you're praying, as you're thinking about a friend, as you're sitting in a home group and somebody's sharing their need, God legitimately tells you, I need you to speak to them. I need you to share this with them. I need you, and, and you do it. And, and in there, there's an opportunity for us as well. When I share the things the Lord is speaking to me, do I share them for his glory and the benefit of others? Or do I share them so that you'll think I'm a really spiritual person? Do I share them so your view of me might increase just a little bit? Do I share them so you might be just a little bit more impressed? And any time we speak God's name to achieve our glory at his expense, we're breaking the third commandment. And so, I mean, we could, we could keep going for hours with the ways that we break the third commandment, but, but we're not, because eventually you reach the point of like, okay, I get it. No matter how hard I try, I'm going to break the third commandment. It's not about just not saying God's name in vain. It's not about not screaming Jesus' name at the wrong times of day. But it's, it's something much deeper than that. It's, it, I'm always going to be tempted to live for my name and to live for my fame. So how do I live in a way where I don't waste his name? I want to take you to a, a maybe unexpected passage to help us understand this. In Acts chapter 11, it tells a story of the gospel spreading to a city called Antioch. And in Antioch, there are Jews who are becoming believers in Jesus, and there are Greeks who are becoming believers in Jesus. And these two groups are starting to worship together. And so the, the people in the city see what's happening, and they recognize this is a unique moment because the Jews in Antioch had always lived separately from everyone else, and now they're co-mingling and interacting. And as they begin to talk to them, the people are telling them about Jesus Christ. So in Acts 11, it says it's at Antioch that they were first called Christians. Now that, that term, Christians, means literally those who belong to Christ. Right? In, in the same way that people in Antioch would have understood, we're all Roman citizens, we all belong to Caesar, they were recognizing this new community that's being formed, they belong to Jesus. And, and so for some of us, when it comes to keeping the third commandment, what we want to understand is that we're able to keep it because our identity has been changed. We now bear the title of those who belong to Christ. Our name has been attached to his name, and his name has been attached to our name. Now, we, we get that, but, but maybe we don't quite. So let's think of it this way. Think of it like a jersey, okay? So um, 
I have the jersey of the most exciting player in the NBA, Russell Westbrook. Don't, you didn't clap for Jesus earlier. You better not clap for Russell Westbrook. First commandment, y'all. Second commandment. You just broke them both. Um, so many of us, we think like, okay, I'm a Christian now. I wear the jersey. And because I wear the jersey, I'm going to straighten up and I'm going to act right. I'm going to live with his name and I'm going to live for his fame. And so I, I've got to remember every time I go out the door, I'm wearing it. It says Christian. And on the back, it says Jesus. It says Holy Spirit. Whatever holy things you want, it says on the back. And, and you're trying to walk around with this constant awareness of, okay, I belong to the Lord. I, his name is attached to mine. My name is attached to him. So I need to remember this. I need to behave better. And, and really what you're doing is you're saying, I need to work harder. I need to do it. I need to live up to my identity. Right now, but, but instead, it, it's a much different approach. So let's say I go to a Thunder game this year, and I wear this Russell Westbrook jersey. Um, and so I'm sitting up in, up in Loud City, up in the dark, where I always sit, because those are the seats I can afford. And so I'm up there, and Westbrook's out on the court, and he gets a little tired, comes out. Billy Donovan looks down the bench. Dennis Schroeder doesn't want to go in. Raymond Felton doesn't want to go in. So he starts to look around the, the arena. And he looks up in the top, and up in Loud City, I'm standing there. Put me in, coach! I'm ready! Now, if he says you, and I say me, you, white guy, receding hairline, bad knees, get down here, you got the jersey, you're in. And I go out on that court, and I'm, I'm wearing it. I've got the title Oklahoma City on my back. It says Westbrook. We're the same size. We're the same weight. And that is where all the similarities end. Because as soon as I start dribbling that ball up the court, everybody's going to yell, run. And I'm going to yell, I am. This is what running looks like. What's wrong with you, right? And I go try to dunk and and I don't actually get off the ground, right? And and the whole thing is going to be embarrassing because no matter how real the jersey is, I don't have that DNA. It's never going to happen. Right? The, the struggle, some of us, you, you, you can't keep the third commandment because you're just trying to live with a name on your chest. You're trying to say, I'm a Christian. So I will live for his, for his name. I'll live for his fame and I'll do it through my own power. I'm going to break my addictions because this is a title on my chest now. And if your chest says Christian, the back can't say addict anymore. So I've got to fix that. If its front says Christian, the back can't say adulterer anymore. So I've got to fix that. If the front says Christian, the back can't say anger issues anymore. So I've got to fix that. And you found again and again and again, no matter how hard you work, you can't do it. Same thing. So if I'm running up and down that court, it doesn't matter how long I train. It doesn't matter what all I do. I'm never going to have that ability. But just imagine just imagine that I walk down on that court and, and Westbrook says, hey, take off that fake jersey. Come here, let me give you mine. And, and he gives me his, and it's probably sweaty, it's probably a little gross, but I don't care. And I put it on, and magically, in that moment, I have the DNA of Russell Westbrook. Can you imagine what that would be like? Connor and I were watching Westbrook's 10 most violent dunks last night on YouTube. 
It was awesome. And, and I don't know if you're a basketball fan or not, but he's got some of those where he will dunk so hard and he just kind of loses his mind for a minute. And it's pretty easy for us to be like, that guy could control. If you could do that, you would lose your mind too, right? I mean, I'd be out there dunking on people and stomping all over and yelling stupid things. It would be awesome because his DNA would be flowing through me. Right now, that's sadly never going to happen. It'd be great if it did, right? And even, even most of the men in here right now, you're already thinking of your favorite athlete like, man, it would be. If I could throw like Dak Prescott, if I could run like Ezekiel Elliott, right? If I, man, Kyler Murray, if I could, you know, but, but we all know it's not gonna happen. Well, when it comes to keeping the third commandment, this is what we want to remember. It's not just about putting a name on your chest and then going out and trying to live up to it. But in Antioch, they were called Christians not because they were good rule keepers, but because the Spirit of Christ lived in them and had so thoroughly transformed their lives that the community around them recognized those are different people. Right? We see the way that they treat each other. We see the way that they love each other. We see the way that they work together. They are completely and totally different. And because of that, now they are naturally fulfilling the law. Now they're living with his name and they're living for his fame. And so for you and I, our only hope in life of fulfilling the third commandment is to remember our identity. And your identity is not something you earn. It's not something you achieve. It's something the spirit of God comes and makes a reality in your life. And so each week as we talk about these commandments, the the spot we're trying to end in is not work harder, but surrender more. Surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus has fulfilled the law perfectly. He is fulfilling the law perfectly. So let him fulfill it. Let him do it. Let the Spirit come and give you both the desire and the ability to do that. And so so with that in mind, I want to leave you with two final ways that we can fulfill the third commandment, okay? And and I almost hesitate to do this because I know some of us, you're so type A, you've been waiting all morning of just give me the, shut up and give me the stuff I need to do, right? And so, so here it is. This is how you keep the third commandment. But notice the emphasis. It is not on Uh, more religious speech. It's not a more disciplined speech. It's not more religious silence, more disciplined silence. Spirit inspired. So if the third commandment is all about how we talk and how we live and how it reflects on God, then we're going to keep it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to change how we talk and how we live so that it reflects for God's name and for his fame. So for some of us, the way this is going to work, you know, so, so you can think, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And, and our response is, okay, I'll just never say it. But that's not it. You know, there, for the, the negative application of the commandment, there's also a positive application. And so if the negative is do not misuse my name, the positive is use my name. Speak it, say it, live it in ways that point others to God through your life. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he reminds you, this law is good. You never could make it on your own. Jesus has made it for you. So now the spirit of Christ lives in you and flows out of you to the point that it affects your speech. So when you go home, the way you talk to your kids or to your parents is different because the spirit flows through you. 
the way you speak at work, the way you talk to your neighbors, you now gain the supernatural ability to speak words of life, of hope, of healing, of salvation, words of forgiveness and restoration because it is the Spirit who speaks through you. You can live for God's name and for his fame because the Spirit himself enables you to do it. And then the the second part of that is Spirit-inspired silence. One of the ways that that I've become really aware probably over the past six months or year of God helping me keep this third commandment is that the many, many times that I hear that still small voice of the Spirit whisper, shut up, Chris. I mean, just so, so many times where, where I feel like, hey, this is wrong. I need to be the one to address it. That person's doing something they're not supposed to do. I need to go tell them how to do it better. This is outrageous. I need to stick up for myself. And so many times the Spirit is coming and telling me, just be quiet. Right now, if if you're introverted, that idea of Spirit-inspired speech would seem miraculous to you. You mean the Spirit would move on me in such a way that I would talk to someone? Yes. Yes, He would. For others of us, though, the greater miracle is not to help you speak, but to help you shut up, right? Some of you mamas right now, your kids are praying that you wrote that down. Spirit-inspired silence, spirit-inspired silence, spirit-inspired. Mom, did you really enjoy church today? I just felt like there were some things for you. Your dads, we're, we're the same way. There's nothing I love more than giving a good lecture. Five minutes in, I see their eyes rolling back. It just fires me up to go another 10. <laughs> you're going to listen. Because you're, you know, and, and really what it comes down to, what, I, what I'm discovering in myself is normally the more agitated I am to speak up about something is because I think my name and my fame are being threatened. So if I think what you're doing reflects poorly on me, I'm going to be pretty quick to jump into it and tell you to knock it off. And what, what God is teaching me is, look, it, my, my name and my fame, they're going to be quickly forgotten. If I'm lucky, my great-grandkids will know my name. And that'll be about the extent of it. But each day, he gives me the opportunity to attach my life to something far bigger and far longer lasting than myself. And sometimes I'm going to do that through my speech. And a lot of times I'm going to do that through my silence. And the the thing I figured out that's really unique is is the more I embrace spirit-inspired silence, the more often he allows me the privilege of participating in spirit-inspired speech. As I learn to shut my mouth by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am able to more clearly hear the things that God is saying and whispering and wants to be said in my life and in my relationships. So I don't don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord this morning. For, For some of you, You're still just trying to wear the jersey. You're trying to live up to it in your own power, in your own strength. So my prayer for you this week has been that it's a week you will surrender to Jesus. That you'll understand, I don't just want to wear the jersey, I want the DNA. I want his life to flow through me and flow out of me. And that's going to start with praying for God to forgive you of your sins, to fill you with his spirit and enable you to walk in the new life he's provided. For others of us, it's, it's maybe that the Spirit has convicted us of the ways that we misuse the Lord's name. And if, if that's the case, I would encourage you to lean into that conviction. Let the Spirit show you, this is how you tend to use my name for your glory. This is how you tend to use it flippantly. 
And then as you lean into that conviction, let God begin to shine his light and lead you into a life where you experience the power of spirit-inspired speech, spirit-inspired silence, spirit-inspired action. We can fulfill the third commandment. Not because God's name is out there and we're really impressed by it, but because he has joined his name with our lives. Because he is in us, living through us, flowing out of us. We have been completely moved into his kingdom. Before you're anything else, you're known as the son and the daughter of God. And because of that, the power of his spirit comes to you to help you naturally fulfill the requirements of all the commandments, including this one, to not waste his name and to not waste his fame. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us. The band's going to come back and lead us in a final song together. Jesus, we thank you that even when the law comes and reveals the ways that we fall short, your spirit comes and shows us the way of life. Lord, I pray for those who do not have a relationship with you today, who've never experienced the transforming power of your spirit in their life. Jesus, I pray today that they would say yes to you, that they would stop trying to do it on their own and instead let the power of your spirit flood their heart and mind and lead them into new life. I pray for those, Lord, who are tempted to use your name for their glory, to use it flippantly or dismissively as your spirit convicts us of these things today. May we turn our attention towards you and towards your power in our life. Jesus, help us to regain an understanding of just how big and how great you are, how powerful and mighty you are, that when we say your name, we are acknowledging your presence in our life and in our world. Lord, may we recognize our identity and may we live out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.